standard issue for all women. Hello, Hannah here. Hope you're having a nice weekend. I'm recording this on Friday, but I already know what I'm going to be doing at the weekend, which is hiding from everyone because I refuse to catch COVID before my holiday. Hope your Sunday is a bit more exciting than that. And one of the things that should perk up your day is this coming interview in which I speak to actor Melissa Johns about what happened to her when her iCloud was hacked, photographs she didn't want in the public domain went into the public domain and how she coped with that. The result is a one-woman show, Snatched, which starts a national tour this week in Liverpool. I'm not going to waste your time telling you about what we chat about because that is but moments away. Instead, I'm going to absolutely not waste your time telling you what's coming up in next week's podcast. Mickey is going to be chatting to writer of the moment, Layla Motley, about her debut novel, Nightcrawling, which she wrote aged just 17. Wow. And I'm going to be talking to actor Sinead Matthews about The Madhouse, which opens in the West End this week and stars Sinead, Bill Pullman and David Harbour. Also, wow. If you don't want to miss out on those or indeed any interviews that we do, you know what to do. And if you don't, it's press subscribe wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Hi, Hannah here. I am joined by Melissa Johns. Hello, Melissa. Thank you for joining us. Hello. It's nice for us to chat because we've tried to set this up a couple of times and you've been too damn busy. So it's actually really nice to finally get this done. Yeah, it's it's been a hectic old time up to the point though where I sort of get bored of hearing myself say that. I think we've accidentally glamorised the idea of being busy at the moment. <laughs> yeah, I, we're always saying, "Aren't we? Oh gosh, I'm just so busy at the moment," and I, and I do worry that we we've, we've glamorised it and we've made it look like to, to be busy is to be successful. And actually, I don't think that's the case at all. I think to find a healthy work life balance is incredibly successful. Apologies for being one of those people that has been saying, gosh, sorry, everything's so hectic, because um, I actually, I'm not a fan of saying that. <laughs> Although, in comparison to how hectic our lives were two years ago, oh, gosh. I mean, a- a- any level of hectic is good, right? Absolutely. So, you are about to go on tour with your show Snatched, which you start on the 16th of June in Liverpool. You have done some previous shows, though. You were up at the Lowry and you were at Soho Theatre. How did they go? Yeah, it's been fantastic. So part one of the tour was, um, yes, Lowry in Manchester, Salford and uh, Soho Theatre. That was middle of May. And honestly, I I, I mean, I, I really am still completely blown away from the responses that I've had. It feels like a privilege enough that I'm getting to tell my story and that I'm getting support to tell the story. So on top of that, to just receive responses that I could have only ever dreamed of has honestly just been the the cherry on the cake. And I guess just as well, seeing how universal the show is, it's really hard when you you kind of bear all in terms of your, your own story. But when you start to see the connections that audiences have with it, it just makes it even more special. I'm thrilled by the responses that I've had from the first two venues. I was going to say this is one of these stories where it's something positive has come out of something relentlessly negative. So maybe we should start with what that story is. And it begins back in 2018 when your iCloud was hacked. Yeah, so I'm an actor, obviously, and I work in TV and theatre. And at the time, I had not long left a stint on Coronation Street, which was one of my first kind of 
bigger roles in the sense of it being, you know, such a mainstream show. So it was January 2018. It was actually Blue Monday, the third Monday in January that they often talk about, which is meant to be quite a depressing day of the year, financially, after Christmas, all of those things. And, And weirdly, I don't think I've ever been hugely affected by Blue Monday, but I've always been aware of it. You know, this is well known for not being maybe one of the happiest days. I always find it weird that I had that awareness of this day and then obviously something so life-changing happened on that day but I was in Manchester um I am the co-founder and co-creative lead of an organization called Triple C we uh create projects that break down the barriers for uh, disabled people accessing the arts and we were actually about to go and have a really important meeting at Manchester Town Council and I looked on my phone and I had about 21 missed calls from my agent and I just remember thinking, oh, my God, this this is going to be a really good job. Like, you know, what is it? As, <laughs> as Spielberg called. Um, I, I just I really, really thought it was going to be something really amazing. And I listened to a voicemail of her and she said, darling, don't answer the phone to anybody. I need you to call me back straight away. And even at that point, I was just thinking, wow, this is this is something great. And when I called her back, she said, are you sat down? And I said, no, but I will. And she said, um, I'm so sorry. But she, she named a particular newspaper in, in the UK, have been said, said that they'd, they'd got hold of, of my agent and um, they had found that my uh, I've had photos and videos, intimate, explicit photos and videos leaked online and that they would be running a story on it. You know, how, how lovely of them to tell me uh, that they would be running a story yeah. on it. And so, you know, the first couple of hours, I was just an absolute mess, you know, however you think that would feel. Just hearing that makes me want to throw up. Yeah. Like genuinely makes me want to throw up. It's it's terrifying. Exactly that, Hannah. And honestly, like when, when people say, how does it feel? I'm like, however you think that would feel is how it feels. And there's a moment of kind of, it feels a bit surreal. There's a load of adrenaline pumping through you. It's, it's a really strange fight or flight moment and for me I just spent the first few hours just really crying thinking about all the things that were going to mess up not only am I an actor but I do a lot of work with young people with with acting Mm. my job at the time as with most actors kind of earlier on in their career I had to do temp work and in between acting and my temp work was working as a supply teacher in schools I kept thinking about my family this tiny little town that I'm from I just kept thinking what has happened is going to mess up everything that I've ever achieved and this came off the back of me, you know, I'd, I'd recently won awards for positive role model and, you know, all, all of these, it really came off the back of, 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 a, of a high point for me. I think as well, I mean, regardless of whatever you have in your iCloud, and that obviously is, is a conversation we can go on to, it's a bit like saying, you know, I was burgled. Absolutely. But that they didn't take anything. Just the act in itself it's the, is intrusive. The Even if you've just got cat pictures it, it, in there. It's, it's, yeah. it's the disrespect of privacy and the disrespect of something that is yours that you own. Yeah. And and it was it was that disrespect that and, and that kind of that feeling so helpless because by that point I couldn't change what had happened. It had happened and it was out there. Mm. And this feeling of not being in control was one that I had never felt that lack of control so much before to get some sort of idea of of what is going on here I know I just have to go onto the websites and I I went onto Google and it was it was literally growing on Google the amount of sites that it was it was going on to and I went onto the kind of first one that I saw and quite honestly when I saw the way that my body had been ripped apart with words and you know the way that 
my body had been depicted not only as a woman but as a disabled woman I say all the time you know we've all been bullied we all know what it's like to hear bad things about us and I, and I, I am certainly mm. very very privy to that um you know with having a body difference only having one arm but I just never read anything like it and I think for me that fuels this huge fire inside because the bit I haven't mentioned yet which is actually so much you know one of the probably 80% of the show actually is that I've gone through my entire life absolutely loathing the body that I was given, just hating it, hating that I was so different to everybody else, just really loathing this skin that I was in, this body that I was in. And so for me, you know, the worst thing that could have happened to me would be that body in its most purest form being shown to the world Mm. without me manipulating how people see it. I suddenly just got this absolute, yeah, there's just this fire to kind of go, this poor body that I've I've just hated for so long you know how how is how has this happened how how am I now being talked about like this by a load of people that have never even met me can I ask you Melissa was the reaction almost worse than the intrusion I mean it just seems like the horror that keeps on giving because you just have Mm. this this like I say this invasion of privacy and then this they found something and then this is in the public domain and then people are saying horrible things yeah one thing after another, you're, you're totally right. The, as I say, the lack of control, the lack of not knowing that this wasn't going to be able to be taken down. At the time, we the first couple of days, we were told that it was an ex that had done it. And we later found out it wasn't. It was, it was an iPhone hacking, which is completely different to kind of revenge porn. But what I had to deal with at that time was I'm, I'm no longer with the partner I was with when it happened. But the, the iCloud got hacked. The photos got released online the papers picked up on it so they said they were going to run a story they didn't tell me when they suggested they might wait until my next show comes out my next part comes out so that Mm -hmm. it would be even more relevant that was going to suddenly become even more well known then the way that the body that I already hated was just being completely ripped apart then this idea that actually this could be the person that I was with oh my gosh this is what people are saying the photos that, that were hacked were only ones that were sent to him even though I knew deep down it wasn't there was still a worry of, okay, is that my relationship also over? Yeah, that's what the, the Sienna Miller situation was. It, it? Yes, yeah. yeah, exactly. And and then that was on the Monday, and I I sort of you know I I I rang my agent, and she was just incredible. We we we've been together for over ten years now, and she was she, the whole team were just wonderful. And she just said, I know this feels like the worst thing in the world right now, but I know you, and I know that this won't be the worst thing in the world right now. And that was hard for me to see, but it was good to have someone in my corner. And I went to bed that night with a bit of adrenaline and kind of just going, do you know what? I believe her. I believe that maybe maybe this is going to be okay. Like I have to I have to do it right, but maybe this is going to be okay. And then the next morning I woke up and I had a letter through the door from the NHS to say that my cervical smear test had come back and I had precancerous cells of the highest form on my cervix. Oh, Jesus. And that was the following morning. And... Thursday I ended up having the cells I was in hospital having it all burnt off which you know we are so lucky that we uh, live in a place where we are able to have that we are able to have the problem solved however yeah it doesn't make it any nicer as a woman to have an injection into your cervix and then layers of your cervix burnt off with a hot rod that doesn't feel nice by the end of that week on the Saturday was when the papers finally finally released it all and it honestly felt like as a woman I had every part of me hacked ripped looked into stripped 
everything that was oh, mine was just whether it was physically whether it was you know i was i was literally being attacked for being a woman on so many yeah. levels and then the following week one of the agencies that i worked for as a as te- temping called up and said i'm sure you know why we're calling uh we won't be sending you out to schools anymore and i quite literally lost lost my i mean it, that that ended up going a little bit further because obviously that was wrong of them to do that that, that was that was actually right. that was actually yeah. illegal um, because i was the victim of a crime here but no uh my brilliant agent kind of dealt with all of that but essentially i i didn't want to be i hated being a, a supply teacher i don't get me wrong i love working with young people but i'm not a teacher i didn't want to be a teacher and and i i you know i was very lucky that i could have this job you know temping and supplying in between acting jobs but i was doing that in manchester and I'd just been on Coronation Street. Now, every everyone in Manchester pretty much yeah. knows about Coronation Street. So not only was this quite horrible going into schools as a supply teacher anyway, you know, that's always a bit of a scary job because you know that you're going to be facing some pretty kind of harsh moments throughout the day. Then being a supply teacher with quite a clear disability that everybody could see makes you appear even more vulnerable. And then I was also this girl that they were like, wait, weren't you on why are you in our school what you know uh, so 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 don't <laughs> yeah. get me wrong I I really didn't want to be there I was grateful to be there but I didn't want to be there I was very unhappy doing that job but it was my only form of income in between acting work and so yeah that final bit came when they called and said we're not we're not sending you out to schools anymore and it felt like absolute rock bottom what more can I lose here the one thing that was just amazing was the support that I received my friends were just absolutely incredible. I I don't know how I got so lucky with the people I have around me, but somehow I did. And they they made I it. I think that probably says something about you, <laughs> to be fair. Thank you very much. But yeah, they 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 were they were so so incredible. Yeah, it was it, it was just a really strange 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 moment. And I think one of the worst things as well was that when it did get finally released in the papers on the Saturday, the one thing that was the hardest bit was we'd written a statement. My statement is still available now, and I'm still very I'm very proud of managing to get to a point where I was able to to write that statement with my agency. But we essentially in that statement say, you know, as somebody that is a champion of female sexuality of women being totally at one with their bodies of women of disabled bodies of you know as as a vocal champion of that I'm not about to go back on my word now and say that I am ashamed or embarrassed because I am not I am angry that my privacy has been disrespected but I am not ashamed of the body that I have got and it is there for the world to see and essentially if you want to have a look that's on you that's not on me and so it was a fairly kind of you know in empowering I guess statements and one of the hardest bits was we can't choose what happens to us in this world but sometimes you know with the right support around us and I say this from a very privileged point of view we can have some control over the way we respond to it and I'm not saying everyone can have the privilege of of control over response that's certainly not the case and, I, and I'm aware of that I've been in positions where I haven't had the privilege to respond in the way to things that I would want to but in on this occasion I did have control over the way I was going to respond to it and that was the way I responded to it but sadly the papers this particular paper picked up on it and it was something like Corrie Mel in Sex Pick Hell and it said how ashamed I was and how devastated I was and I hadn't used those words I hadn't used those words and so the bit that kind of upset me the most is me going wow 
it's one thing to have this happen to me, but for then you to take the one thing I had left was the way I responded and you haven't even given me that. So that's when we made the decision to kind of release it ourselves, release the full statement. And suddenly all these other papers, I remember Manchester Evening News and the Mirror and all of these other papers just picked up on it. And I remember reading some of the headlines and they were saying, yeah, we can't get enough of the way Melissa Johns is dealing with this. And, and they were such powerful headlines that I was not expecting that. So much so that I think the, the, the other paper ended up, I think, writing something different like a week later to kind of match all the other stories. But it was that constant feeling like I was being empowered by the world around me even though, you know, when I first read it, I thought that wasn't going to be the way it was going to go at all when I read how I was being talked about. But it just shows that, you know, nine times out of 10, there really is more good in this world than there is bad. It's just so easy to focus on the bad when you're feeling so vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I've been a journalist for 25 years. And what's interesting about this story is that it happens to women all the time. Mm. It's not that there is photographs of you circulating. Mm. It is that this is a phenomena. Your reaction to it is the interesting part of it because I find the way that you have dealt with it so admirable because I don't know that I, even my Pollyanna-ness and my philosophicalness that I could deal with it like that so I, I admire you enormously for it thank you that 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 means a lot and I, I honestly think it just came from a place of I'm not very good at just kind of sitting down and shutting up <laughs> um, I've never been very good at that and I just knew that unless I went the other way that was what I would probably have to do I would just have to go no sorry this was a very private moment and I would rather not talk about it and and then what I would end up doing is there would be the unknown right like I I would end up trying to hide away from it. And then I would just end up thinking, oh God, everyone's seen it. And I create stories in my own head probably. Yeah. And and then, but but nobody would ever get to hear the real story. They would create their own narrative. And so I just thought, no, I, I have to be able to tell the world my narrative. And that's when we started, you know, conversations about the show. Because guilt and shame, they are really, really powerful emotions. Oh, really powerful emotions. And not that you've got anything to feel guilty for, but as women... Yeah. I mean, we are ultimately told that we are responsible for what happens to us. So I do have a question. Tell me about victim blaming in this situation. How many times did people say to you, you shouldn't have had those photographs on you? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, yeah, I would have paid off my mortgage if I had a pound for every time. Um, <laughs> but it, it just absolutely. And, and then I think, again, for me, I'm just not the type of person that can go, yeah, you know, so many people just go, it's okay, Melissa, you don't have to convince everyone. You know, people think the way they think, just, you can, you can just walk away if you want. But I just find that so hard when I know that people are wrong. <laughs> and that's not, that's <laughs> not to say that I don't ever think I'm wrong. I'm wrong a lot. But when I know I'm right, I find it really hard not to say that. And so when I had people saying to me, and, you know, women as well, people with daughters, you know, telling me that, oh God, but why did you have it on there anyway? I just, ha every single time, you know, I ended up draining my energy but because I did have to say, okay, can we just talk about what, what you've just said? And I don't want to have an argument and I'm not lecturing you. I just genuinely want to have a discussion about what, what you've just said. And what you've just said is that essentially this whole thing has happened and it is my fault for taking those photos. Do you get that it is my phone, my body, and at the time my boyfriend... Mm -hmm. You know, just because we have 
an iPhone, which makes makes apparently makes us available to the world. It doesn't mean we are available to the world. Yeah, it's exactly in line with oh well. Of course, she got groped in the club. Look at what she was wearing, or the constant, constant reminders that the world thinks that we are, we are the ones to blame. And yeah, I, I had that. I had that so often. Why did you do it? I think for me, that was why I went down the route. I went down because I thought there's a couple of things I can do here. I can try and tear down the people that are doing this, or I can use my energy. On just trying to explain to people that yes, we should be angry and upset when our privacy is disrespected because nobody deserves that. You should not have your privacy disrespected in such a way. However, the last thing you need on top of that is shame and embarrassment and guilt. And so, I would rather use my energy on building up the next generation or doing my little bit. There's not much that I'm going to be able to do on my own, but doing my little bit to. Build up not only our next generation, but you know, women now that are having it done to them. So that if this does happen, and as you said before, this is happening at every level. Actually, yes, it happens to women in the media, but actually, because of smartphones, this is happening in schools. You know, people can getting changed for PE, and someone gets a photo of someone and says, "Oh, if you don't do this, then I'm going to share this photo around." This is happening at so many levels, and. I am not suggesting in any way that we shouldn't be angry when those things happen. We should, because that isn't the world we should be living in. But what we don't need on top of that is shame and embarrassment, body shaming and slut shaming. We do not need that. That should not exist on top of the anger that we feel of what's happened. Well said. Now, let's talk about your little bit, which is snatched. When did it first occur to you or did it occur to somebody else that this was a great idea for for a a one woman show so I've always wanted to do a a one woman show about body difference about not always yes disability from my point of view but body difference and disability you know don't have to be the same thing but body dysmorphia when you have a disability or a body difference you spend so much time making sure that everyone around you is okay with the way you look no one ever asks you if you're okay with the way you look And that can be really, really draining and really scary and really horrible. And I would get myself into these ridiculous... I say get myself, actually. I think society's view on disability and body difference definitely helped me get myself into these situations. I would manipulate my entire body to make it look to those around me that didn't know me like I had two arms. I would practice. I would wear long sleeve tops. I would take a cardigan and coat out with me all the time. If I went on dates with lads, I would get the date early so that I could sit in the right position so they'd be on the other side of me I would say I was going to the toilet um, but really I would go and ask the kitchen if they would cut my food up before it came out I literally was this absolute master of manipulation and it got to some really hilarious story I would, I would sleep with lads that I would choreograph sex so that I would sleep with lads that wouldn't even notice and what that does is it takes away every level of free, all the things that should be free and wonderful and amazing weren't because... And spontaneous. And spontaneous. They just weren't because <laughs> I was micromanaging every part of my life. And actually, that's really funny. Like, really funny things come out of that. So I always mm. knew there was this show of the way that, you know, I dealt with how the world felt about the way I looked. And so when this happened, that was just the cherry on the cake. It was the okay the worst thing that you know at a point where 
I having lived a life where I'd hated my body so much. And around the same time as the, the photo happening, it was a really weird coincidence how it kind of worked. So in, in 1990, the year I was born, my granddad, he's, he's sadly no longer with us, he bought a video camera and he just documented my entire life. And we are so lucky with the beautiful footage that we've got. It's, it's, I, you know, I speak to friends who just say, I wish I had that. And I, you know, I, I know how lucky I am to have this, this beautiful footage courtesy of my, my granddad, Frankie. And one day we were as a family watching some footage and I just saw this little girl on the screen and she was so free. She's dancing around and she's waving her arm about and she's so happy and she's, she's just real. And I just remember watching it thinking, you deserve so much more than the life I'm giving you. You absolutely deserve the best. And I'm so sorry that I'm not giving that to you. I'm giving you this restricted life where I hate your body. And it felt really weird as I was 28 at the time, me as a 28 year old looking at this little five year old saying, I hate your body. That's not right. Look at you. You, You're absolutely beautiful and you deserve so much more than what I'm giving you. And that was a real turning point for me where I started to really start to work on how I could embrace this body that I had. We actually use the childhood footage in Snatched in the show. So grateful we have it. But it kind of came at a point where, you know, I'm glad now that I didn't do, didn't create a show years ago, because for me, it came to a natural kind of climax in the sense that me really delving into how I feel about my own body versus someone hacking into my account and releasing explicit images of me and then depicting my body in a way that I'd never even read before. Those two things colliding meant that an explosion needed to happen and with any show you need an explosion so yeah I I still wish it hadn't have happened I'm not in any way saying that I I, I'm glad that that this happened to me but I can't change that that you know that it that it did happen and so creating a show felt like the best way to, to 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 combat what was happening I mean it sounds absolutely right to me to be honest and I am a firm believer that the worst things that happen to you quite often turn out to be the best things that happen to you it just you just need a bit of time to see that exactly you must have had a lot of women in touch with you either during the show or or previously to talk about their experiences how how have you dealt with that yeah it's it's been incredible and I think even wider than that men (laughs) it's been really it's (laughs) it's been really interesting because obviously you know of course I am never ever ever saying only women have problems with body dysmorphia, body image, being sexualized, body shaming, slut shaming. I am never, ever, ever saying that. But that is my own lived experience. And therefore, I have a, a stronger connection to it because that's that's how I, that's my lived experience of it. But I think for me, coming out of the show and hearing one audience member came up to me, they said that I, look, I'm, I'm gay and I've just cried my way through this because... I can't tell you how many times I have had to manipulate my own body to fit in with the environment that I'm in. I've had to change my walk. I've had to change my voice. I've had to change the way that I gesture. And it really made me realise just how much body dysmorphia and the idea that the world is constantly commenting on the way that we look, is it's so universal. Mm, and, yeah. and, and this show is, someone in a review said that this show speaks to anybody that has been made to feel ashamed for who they are or for the thing that makes them different. And I'm so glad that that was how they articulated it 
that was kind of huge in terms of me going, yeah, that that is what it is. And and I didn't realise, but I'm so glad that people are, are feeling that this hour and 10 minutes in the theatre offers this place of reflection just to make them go, do you know what? Yeah, I, I have been made to feel like that and it's fucking shit and it hurts and it's wrong. And you get a sense of solidarity by all the people around you. You know, yeah. I, I think for me, seeing so many people crying, and I know that sounds, you know, very on the surface, but seeing so many people hit with such raw, real emotion, it just, there's a sense of solidarity where we all go, actually, we're all a bit fucked up, aren't we? Because the world's made us think that we should, what the, the, the yeah. world's made us think that yeah. we are. I mean, I would I would also hope that, that anyone coming to see it who was even half thinking about showing photographs that they've been sent even just to their mates yeah think twice about about doing it exactly that just because we can doesn't always mean we should and I remember at one point we discussed with the Lowry the idea of at some point we never did it but at some point in the show or at the end of the show letting people you know just a reminder to people that if you want to go home tonight and you actually if you want to sit there in the in at the end of the show and you want to go on your phone and look you can like that's the world that we live in but you can but just because you can should we like where do where does our moral compass come into this and and yeah. and who does then have the power you know i've just bared all for an hour and 10 minutes who does the power lie with really are you going to look or are you not and i can't stop anyone i'll never be able to stop anyone from looking those those photos of classes like public property now it's they're, they're online so i can't stop anyone but where do we sit on the power side of this and who who kind of has that power I find things like that incredibly interesting. Yeah. Funny thing is, it's never, ever, ever occurred to me to ever look no. at anybody's photographs when they've been hacked because it is a re-victimisation. Yes. If you look at things that people don't want to you look to look at. at. Absolutely. So, yeah. A- absolutely. And, and the amount of friends I had that, you know, I, I ended up, I didn't say anything for the first few months because I, I think I was in such a vulnerable place. I didn't want to didn't want to start an argument or I didn't want to lose friends. And so I just kind of dealt with it. But I was doing a podcast a few months after it happened. And I think I said it in this podcast because I finally got this realisation that all my friends that had said to me, oh, well, obviously we've looked. I suddenly in the middle of this podcast went, actually, sorry, no, it's not obvious. And I I haven't said anything to you yet, but it's always felt uncomfortable. And now I'm realising why. And that's because you've always made it sound like I'm the silly one. Like, obviously, we've looked, Melissa. Of course we would. We had to. And I'm suddenly realising that, no, you didn't have to. You didn't have to yeah. at all. If you can't control yourself, learn to control yourself. Absolutely. And then, you know, equally, I've had so many friends that just went, just so you know, I have never looked. Like, just in case you thought I might have, I just want you to know I haven't. And, you know, that reassurance is, is just as lovely, really. But but it's, it yeah, it always made me, it was so strange the first time I kind of got that realisation of, no, oh, it's not obvious. You really you did not have to look. And I, yeah. I, I kind of, used a bit of this podcast to speak to any of them that might have been listening that might have listened to it knowing that some of them would say oh well we'll have a listen to that when it comes out I kind of used it as a bit of a things I never got to tell my friends I'm going to tell you now and that was it really hurt me when you said you looked because you didn't have to at all can I ask were they men no Oh, really? No, they, they were women. And that's where the education comes into it. That's where my feminist in me goes, oh, can we just have a chat about it? I, I don't want to, I'm not going to have a go and I'm not going to lecture you. I'm not going to get on my soapbox. Well, I will get on my soapbox a little bit, but 
can we just have a talk about like why you thought it was okay like is it because you're like you know and some of them were like because I love you and I love your body and it doesn't matter whether I look and it, it, it's just about unpicking we live in a world at the moment where two things can be true you know, well people refuse to believe that two things can be true you know you've only got a post on Twitter I really love raspberries and somebody will say you know well, what about strawberries it, it's it, we, we do live in a world that is incredibly hard to remember that two things can be true and so that's why I, I never go and into... to be fair raspberries are way better than strawberries to be fair I agree um I, I I it's not to say I don't enjoy a strawberry had a, had a lovely one from my my auntie's allotment yesterday um but but you know I, it, it is it's just that thing of I never go into anything having a go at people or lecturing people because I genuinely believe that like likelihood is I'm going to learn something along the way but just to be able to have a bit of a chat with them and say look can you just see why that was hard a hard pill for me to swallow that you my girlfriends looked um I think I had one girlfriend as well that, that was great she she said do you want me to which I thought was lovely because she sort of went do you want me to look do you want me to be in you know do, do you want me to be the eyes on this for you so you don't have to do you want and, and that's yeah. a different story but just having a look so you can yeah. be a bit like oh just got an insight into Melissa's sex life that's different <laughs> that's the friend you go to when you go I've got some weird shit on my back and I can't see that, it could it, you have a look a, at it for it's me it's exactly that it's exactly that yeah now I want to talk to you about one other thing which is something you mentioned earlier which is triple c yes which you co-founded uh with friend of the podcast Shirley Houston and you recently won a tv craft special award you gave an absolutely barnstorming speech let me say what you said in it you asked people to pledge to put disability center stage now that got a good reaction mm. but i would i would say it deserved a better one <laughs> is that symptomatic of how disability has never really become one of the key diversity issues that people talk about yeah we we we're still so fearful of it we still don't understand it enough and what that does is it means that the world decides on a narrative that they're most comfortable with and actually that narrative is very rarely true you know we we are starting to see more disabled representation but it's not just about disabled representation in fact scrap the idea of representation I want to get a role because I'm a storyteller. I want I want my friends to get roles because they're storytellers. I want us to get roles because we're talented and we deserve to have our place in the industry. Representation will be a byproduct of that, but we can't have it as the driving force anymore. And until it's not yeah. the driving force, I don't think we're ever really going to get it as an industry. If if, if it's constantly be- because we should, you know, or we, we really should have more disabled writers on our shows we really should have more disabled actors in our tv pieces we really should have more disabled actors and directors in our theater pieces you know all of those things if we keep thinking of it because oh because we need representation that's not a good enough reason the reason has to be because this industry will always be richer with more voices and there are so many stories to tell so just and it's not it's also not about equality of outcome it's about equality of opportunity you know it make make the opportunities more equal and then you'll get the right people for the for the roles but yeah I think the reason why it doesn't seem to have long-lasting effects at the moment is just because it's we have got a lot of minds to change that's one of the hardest things you can do in this world is change someone's mind but we as disabled people have been told for years this industry isn't for you and so it's going to take years to undo that and make it so it is for us and I just think one of the ways to do that, I, I'm actually all for quotas and, and, and box ticking. We're not at a place where we're doing it organically at the moment. So if we have to do it by 
a bit of quota filling, then fine. That That's yeah. almost like a stepping stone. But we all have to be doing all we can to make it so that it goes beyond quota filling being a stepping stone. It has to be that we're striving for it to be so organic in our processes. It's really interesting. I think so many people in the industry are really starting to do their bit and, and realise that the responsibility of changing our industry to make it more accessible and inclusive has to fall on all of us. But of course, there are still people that aren't quite at that stage yet. They they haven't yeah. they haven't quite maybe had the penny drop moment or they just haven't felt it yet. And and don't get me wrong, that's hard. Like Shez and I, along with so many other brilliant deaf, disabled, and, and neurodivergent artists, are fighting for this constantly. And of course it gets draining it gets draining when I, I i get a role in something and i'm so excited and i film it and i get lovely reactions and then there's always a few reactions that go oh god did you see that girl with one arm in it pc gone mad again and you just go oh i can't <laughs> tell you how much that hurts to have my entire career undermined because you pin it on political correctness <laughs> um melissa can i ask a question was it you that a couple of years ago the daily mail claimed were scaring children uh, no, you? no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't me. It was a, a wonderful other person on TV with blonde hair and one arm there. And it's OK, because there's not many of us. That was the that was the incredible Kerry Bernal. Kerry Bernal was one of the she was the first visibly disabled person as a presenter on CBBS. Um, she's now gone on. To, That's right. She's now yep. gone on to write. She's an author for children's books. Her books are beautiful. She's beautiful. We, we get on so well. And she when she first joined CBBS, I was 18. I was just about to go traveling in Australia with my my first boyfriend. And when I got back, I had been accepted into drama school. So I had a a lovely little year plan ahead of me of, well, three years, including the three years at drama school. That was my first real insight into how the media were going to treat me. I remember writing a blog about it years ago saying, you know, I feel so anxious about my future, seeing how this woman who is just doing her job and doing it fucking brilliantly is being treated that's a really hard thing for me to see because how am I going to craft my way in this industry that was my first real thing of going I remember them saying you know monsters using the word monster and freak and and don't get me wrong look for every 10 you know 10 people that said something horrendous there were like 300 that were like are you for real we cannot have our children growing up thinking every girl looks like barbie and every guy looks like ken like pack it in you're being absolutely utterly fucking ridiculous so there were of course as always brilliant people but that doesn't make it any better that doesn't that that doesn't stop that feeling of if if one person has thought it you know it's not just going to be that one person yeah. And also, it doesn't stop the newspapers putting oh, that bit in there. Exactly. They're, they're yeah. not going to put the bit about all the other people that championed it and went, I absolutely yeah. want my, my children to grow up seeing disabled people as their role models. And there were so many people that did think like that. I Sometimes the media can absolutely damage the, the work we're trying to do. I know that I get that all the time. I, I went on Good Morning Britain a few years ago um, to talk about disabled actors playing disabled parts. And I just remember the woman that was on there with me, I can't remember what her name was now. She just said, um, oh, well, I've heard now you can't even say disability. And I said, I haven't, I haven't heard that. You, you absolutely can. In fact, we're, we're, we're reclaiming the word. It's part of our lived experience and, and we love it. But it just made me think, OK, are you disabled? Because if you're not, surely you'd listen to the disabled person next to you. And if I'm telling you that 
that is absolute bollocks yeah. then yes it is <laughs> listen to me that's like you know <laughs> professional on uh, who, who knows everything about the moon going on and talking about it and someone sitting next to them going oh actually i've heard it's made out of cheese that's bullshit isn't it like you're going to listen to the person is that not true I know, Melissa? It, sadly it's not and it upsets me every night <laughs> but you know you just there's this thing where people are so worried that i i honestly think it comes from fear people are really fearful and and it I, I understand the fear, I really do, because again, we live in a world where you say one thing out of line and you, maybe you didn't even mean to. And that's that's also not to say that the people who do mean to shouldn't really get told off for it and, and have, you know, longer lasting effects. But we do live in a world at the moment where if you do say something that is slightly wrong, the, the, the impact can be massive on, on, on your life. Yes. And therefore I get the, yeah. the worry and the fear of getting terminology wrong or, or doing something wrong. But when we created, especially Dank, the Disabled Artist Networking Community, which is our, one of our main strands of, of Triple C, myself, Shirley Houston, Jed Mulherin, Lydia Mulherin and Monique Jarrett, there's five of us that kind of started that early on. And, and we just said like, this has to be a place that people feel so comfortable to come to. We, we, we use the word solution focused all the time because we're not going to have a go at anybody. If, if, if you're a TV company that's coming to us because you, you are doing a new show and you really want some support with getting some more people, some more of the crew as, as disabled crew members or more representation on screen. Like if you haven't done it already, we're not going to have a go at you for not doing it already is all we need is the first step of you going, ah, sorry, we haven't done it. We're going to do it now. Can you help us? That's yeah. all we need. You know, for, for me, I understand why people go down the kind of activism route. I, I don't call myself an activist. I think that sometimes there's connotations with that of, of kind of a lot of anger. And, and I understand that anger. You know, God only knows I understand that anger from our industry because we, the, you know, the way that disabled people are treated is absolutely horrendous a lot of it is so is is unconscious bias as well right that's the hardest bit sometimes it's not even people just coming out and saying something mean sometimes you prefer that because you'd be like okay what you just said was wrong and this is why when it's unconscious bias it's so ingrained that's 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 a harder area to to to, to uncover but it, it is just about for me how you find the good side of it I know I don't have the energy every day when, when I was younger I didn't say to people when I'm older I want to be a disability activist or advocate I said I want to be an actor it's just that as with most disabled creatives the fight has also fallen on my shoulders alongside so many others yeah. and I don't have the energy to wake up every day and be angry at that so with triple c we've just found a way that and I think that's why it's working so well because we found a way where we just go we just need to make it happen. We don't want to be winning. You know, we're grateful that we won an award. Of course we are, the BAFTA, for, for our, our kind of services to the industry. But this just has to be the start. Next year and years to come has to be winning awards for best writer, best director, best actor. You know, it, it, this needs to be the, the, the catalyst for change now. And I think for us, it's just about going, let's just stop reinventing the wheel and let's just do it. And we can show you how easy it is to do. Yeah. Liz Carr won, uh, Olivier. Much as, I mean, I know Liz, she's been on the podcast lots of times, much as we love her, that was for playing a character who was in a wheelchair in real life. If that character hadn't been in a wheelchair in real life, would they have cast Liz? I don't know. Mm. I mean, great. I suppose that we are at a stage where they, and, and, and that, that they did, because even though I'm so bored of, of, of the battle of, oh gosh, we're so over this. Disabled people should play disabled roles. There we go. That's all there is. I, 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 I'm so over that as an argument. I do still understand that there are still people in the industry that don't haven't quite got hold of that yet. So 
firstly, you know, brilliant that we have got to a stage at least where Liz was playing the character of somebody who, yeah. who, who has that lived experience and not certainly not before it's time. Melissa, this has been fantastic. Everyone should go and see your show. Start on the 16th of June in Liverpool. Uh, you end on the 1st of July in Hereford. You've got quite a few dates. You're zipping around the country. Where can people find out more? The best way, I think, is on the Alchemist Theatre Company's website. So that's the Alchemist Theatre Company. Or on my Instagram page. It's Melissa Johns one on Instagram. And there's a, a link in the bio to all of the dates and some of the the TV interviews we did Loose Women, Steph's Pack Lunch where you can find out a bit more about the show too and all of that's on my my, my Instagram page Excellent, and where can people find out more about Triple C if they'd like to? Uh, The Triple C website, so that is triplec.org.uk I'm almost certain, Triple C stands for the Creative Confidence Collective and it is the word triple and then the letter C all as one word. Fantastic Thank you so much for your time Melissa, this has been great Thank you so much Hannah Standard issue for all women.